This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a presidential transition edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. The next occupant of the Oval Office will need to transform campaign promises and a long list of priorities into real policies and programs that produce positive results for the American people. The success of an administration can rise and fall based on its competence in managing the government. As history demonstrates, strong management can enable rapid and positive results, while management mistakes can derail important policy initiatives, erode public trust, and undermine confidence in the government. During the past year, the Partnership for Public Service and the IBM Center for the Business of Government joined together in sponsoring a series of day-long discussions to inform the next president and the next administration about critical issues and actions that can strengthen government's capacity to address the challenges facing our country. Through these discussions, accompanying reports, and related research, they have developed a management roadmap for the next administration. Creating a management roadmap and making it a priority will be critical to the success of the new administration, especially given the mounting and complex challenges facing our government, the speed to which change is taking place, and the need to govern effectively. Both in terms of government operations and political leadership, Playing catch-up is always an ineffective strategy. Good management is not an end unto itself. It is a means by which ideas become accomplishments and broken systems become well-oiled machines. Starting a new administration with a management roadmap will increase the chances of early policy success and begin restoring the public's trust in government's ability to get things done. Real action to make government better managed, more effective, and more innovative is a good place to start and will help build a lasting legacy for the next president. Today, I welcome David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, and Dan Chenuk, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government, to discuss the management roadmap and the presidential transition for the new administration. The development of government-wide presidential transition planning in the United States has a relatively short history. Here's David Eagles. Yeah, so it's important to take a step back, just as you've done in your question here, and just know that these transitions, even today, are completely different than they were even eight years ago. I mean, this is completely different. Historically, transition planning early has been taboo. Uh, It's a little bit like the movie The Candidate. Robert Redford looks at his campaign manager, says, now what do we do? This is what historically has happened at election. Dan Chenock, executive director for the IBM Center for the Business of Government, highlights the key aspects of presidential transitions. Interestingly, in history, the inauguration date shift, I think, also improved the importance of transitions because it used to be March 4th. 
Um, so there was a much greater time period. And now it's January 20th, so you have only 75 days or so between election and transition. I would say that the, the key aspects of the transition kind of come in three buckets. Mm-hmm. The first is people. Uh, obviously, the, the transition teams are looking to, uh, to identify who are the most talented individuals to lead agencies and activities and functions and staff the White House and, and other key positions. Um, uh, the second is, is policy, um, really understanding what did the president-elect commit to during the campaign? How do you turn those policy commitments into actions uh, and action plans that can be implemented by, by federal employees? And then the third is really the budget say that both as a former OMB person, but also as the fact that the budget really drives a lot of the prioritization and resource commitments that that make the um, president's priorities come to life. And the budget happens very quickly uh, in the new administration. The first budget is submitted really in March or April for the new new president and uh, the go- immediately goes to Congress for disposition uh, on October 1st of that year. So those are three kind of pieces of the transition uh, that are very important. The success of an administration can rise and fall based on its competence in managing the government. David Eagles explains. These campaign promises will stay promises, right, if you don't develop a plan for execution. And so that's why it's so critically important that we focus on this. During the past year, the Partnership for Public Service and the IBM Center for the Business of Government joined together in sponsoring a series of day-long discussions. Here's David Eagles and Dan Chenock on the management roadmap for the new administration highlighting the key themes of these discussions. And we spent a lot of time and effort talking with folks about how to actually get things done in government. Because again, uh, historically, what we've seen with transition teams mm-hmm. is that they'll focus exclusively on their policy promises. They're not actually building execution plans to get those promises done. Chenak elaborates further. And so the premise behind the roadmap uh, was to help a new administration get off to a fast start mm-hmm. in terms of understanding the importance of management. There are other efforts that have been done to accomplish this goal. And they've been more focused on functions of government, like information technology, financial management, human capital. What we tried to do in the roadmap, working with the Partnership for Public Service, was to take a look at cross-cutting levers of management excellence. Those four levers were establishing a political career leadership team, running the government like an enterprise as opposed to a set of individual siloed agencies, creating strong decision processes, and building innovation into uh, uh, the government's uh, day-to-day activities. And we worked with the partnership to really integrate this with their larger transition agenda. The transition teams, they're looking for relevant content at the right time to get their promises executed. Mm -hmm. And so that's, we developed this in mind with that spirit, that often uh, if you want to get your promise done, you have to be focused on how decisions are made. You have to be focused on innovation. You have to be focused on the workforce that's there. If you ignore these things, you're not going to get them done. Uh, and so those are critical enablers to your campaign promise, and that's why these transition teams have been very interested in this report. Dan Chenock explains the actual process they engaged in to develop the roadmap. So we talked with the partnership with David Eagles and Max Steyer uh, and, the, and the great team there about how to pull together uh, a community of leaders, both current government, former government, and stakeholders in, in good government and good management. Uh, around these four themes. We actually pulled together uh, at first a a research group of of leading academics who have worked with the Center for the Business of Government and written for for our center uh, before and had them help us frame the themes so that we could get a a sort of a disciplined view of issues that would matter based on research that had been done into effective government as well as attention to longer-term priorities of government. 
Once we developed that agenda, uh, those four topics that I mentioned earlier, we assembled a roundtable of leaders and experts in each of those four areas. Uh, and for each roundtable, uh, we hired uh, an author um, to write a report based in part on the discussion at the roundtable and in part on their expertise uh, in the field. And we had four tremendous authors for, for each report who really had, had deep expertise. The process ended with a, a publication of a, of a capstone report, which brought together all uh, various themes into a, a management roadmap for the new administration, which, as you referred to earlier, and we're now in the process of working with the partnership to help integrate and implement that roadmap into the Center for the Presidential Transitions work, as well as uh, assisting with the new administration uh, in understanding how to use the levers of management to achieve uh, their goals. So I'll take a step back even further. Like I said, we started this overall convening in April. So there were actually five presidential candidates at the time. We actually convened all five uh, in the room together, their most senior campaign staff, to talk about governing the country. And so what did that mean? So there's really a couple of parts of transition that we're focused on. One is just the team of presidential appointments, right? And again, 4,000, this is massive. No team's done this well. Nearly a year after every modern president's been elected, they're getting less than one-third of these senior positions in place. I mean, it's no way to run a business, let alone the largest, most complex, powerful entity in the world, right? The second piece is around your policy implementation and, and actually executing your campaign promises. And I think, again, our early engagements with them have been, hey, again, don't focus just exclusively on your policy promises. Build a plan of execution. Focus on those enablers to your promise. If you can't buy things via acquisition, if you can't actually get the workforce to execute it, you won't get it done. And so you start at this very, very, very high level with these incoming teams. These guys are, uh, at that stage in the game, they were political campaigns. Their goal was to win, right? Um, but obviously now we're much different. Now, obviously, campaigning is completely different than governing. Um, and so they're going through a process now just to understand how these agencies work. They're looking for ideas like those ideas that are in the management roadmap. Uh, and they're going to put together 100- and 200-day plans that ideally use a lot of these resources that are in the management roadmap that we've developed with IBM. Ideas and solutions start with imagination, but achieving them requires good management. Achieving big things starts with an idea, but someone has to get it done. David Eagles on the importance of management to the success of a new administration. So I think you hit a great point, right? Historically, they've been focused on their policy promises. When they're appointing people, it's generally people who are experts in those policy areas. It's not people who know how to implement things or who've maybe managed large workforces in the past who think about these issues that way, right? And so I think there's a couple things at play here. One is the onus really is on us, the collective us, your listeners and others. We need to figure out just what these management positions really are. Like what are those positions that actually lead the large workforces that have significant IT budgets, for example? Because I think you'll be surprised because it's all across government. It's not just your CXO positions, which are traditionally management positions, but it's also that assistant secretary at that agency that has a massive IT spend or that's managing hundreds of thousands of federal employees. You need good management skills in those jobs as well, right? So we've been working very closely with these transition teams uh, on just thinking about what these roles are. Again, by and large, this is very fascinating, for those 4,000 political positions, there are not job descriptions. Yeah. So how can you source qualified talent if you don't know the requirements of the role? Uh, and so we've really worked hard at thinking about these top positions and saying, where are these management skills applicable? Uh, and I think that's a step one here. If you're going to source that talent, you got to know what, the, what this role does. And teams historically, and I was on Romney's transition team four years ago, uh, and, and we didn't know a lot about these positions. You don't know what you're about to inherit, right? So how do you, again, you're slotting options, just as the Trump team has been doing now. Um, you're slotting options. You're making announcements. 
Um, you've got to understand what this role does. And so that's critical point one. And then critical point two, again, these promises will stay promises if you don't build that plan. Uh, and that's why management's that important. And I think the only way I know uh, on how to sell this as it's important is it's the way you're going to get your promises done. The things that you believe in, that the mandate that you were given from the public to execute what you said you're going to do, it's these issues of management that are going to get them done. And that's why they become priority one for you. So the center's mission is really to uh, improve government in various ways in terms of the effectiveness and efficiency by which it operates, to help government understand what are best practices in the private sector, to help it understand uh, leading technology trends, uh, so that it can implement those trends and improve the the way the government serves citizens, interacts with businesses, uh, and conducts its daily operations, the business of government. And every uh, time there's been an administration change since the center was established in 1997, the center has really tried to take a look at how can we take this model and help a new administration uh, move forward. So the roadmap effort was really an expansion of that mission and that history. Working with the partnership helped us to reach a greater audience, helped us to uh, integrate our efforts into uh, the partnership's vast network of of uh, interested stakeholders uh, working on transition as they established uh, what they refer to as a, a learning organization for presidential transition. And it was really a ter- terrific um, collaboration with the partnership. How should the new administration leverage the government's executive talent? We look for this question and so much more when this presidential transition edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Presidential Transition Edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guests today are David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, and Dan Chenock, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. New administrations too often prioritize policy expertise over operational and leadership skills, particularly when selecting political appointees. Here's Dan Chenock on the challenges faced staffing up the new administration and he provides some key best practices in this area. So roughly 4,000 political positions, they're divided up into several categories. Basically, if you think about it in types of people, there Mm -hmm. are the cabinet secretaries, who you're seeing in the news now, and the White House leadership positions. Then there are the agency heads who are not cabinet-level secretaries, but they're running important functions of government. Those can be either independent agencies um, or separate agencies, I should say, independent, not necessarily independent uh, in a traditional definition, uh, but standalone agencies that aren't, don't have cabinet rank. They can also be major bureaus within departments. So that's a second group, is really op- people that are running large operations. I would say that deputy secretaries, the COOs of the government, uh, are also a, another category to work at. And then supporting all of those three categories is all of the staff positions, whether they're White House staff, 
uh, working for the White House leadership positions, whether they're agency staff. And that those 4,000 people then ba- basically work with 7,000 career SES executives and then, of course, the 3 million members of the federal uh, civilian and military workforce. The author of the report that uh, came out of the work we did around establishing a strong political uh, career uh, interface Doug Brooks, who had, was a former uh, director of the Office of Personnel Management and a former leader of personnel uh, mission for DOD, talked about uh, the importance of finding qualified people with experience uh, and expertise in the area that they were working in, being able to fill that role quickly because they had managed and led in those areas before. They didn't necessarily have to manage an operation, but they, they know the terrain. They can come in and, and hit the ground running. I'd say another element uh, to uh, staffing up uh, successfully is finding people that understand the network uh, and how to leverage the networks in which they work. And that can be people who don't necessarily have to have lived in D.C. before. Um, they could be people new to but who understand the importance of reaching out and understanding different stakeholder groups, understanding the fact that it's not just your internal operation that matters for the achievement of mission, but it's Congress, it's interest groups, it's the press, and, and how to work the larger community. Yes, so there are about 4,000 political appointments that they have to make, and that number does not even include some of the part-time boards and commissions and things like that, which can that number could actually grow fairly exponentially. Uh, so it's a big apparatus, and it's fascinating that all 4,000 quit at the exact same minute on January 20th, right? So, so we probably don't realize that. Yeah, it really is to the same minute, right? It all, it all stops, and so... Uh, I think your first point on executive talent is you just got to get your folks in from the, for, for the incoming teams. There's no excuse, again, not to have those critical decision makers. Again, I mentioned the period of vulnerability in the country. Like if something were to happen, you need people there to make decisions. And I go back uh, eight years ago, there was actually a credible threat on President Obama on Inauguration Day. And you talk to Josh Bolton, who was the outgoing George W. Bush chief of staff, and he talks about how you know, there, there just weren't people there to, to make decisions if something were to happen, right? How would that actually shake out? And so we can't avoid that. So you've got to have your people in place. The second big item that's a, a big part of our uh, this roadmap that we put together with IBM uh, is thinking about joint teams of political appointees and career executives. Just thinking about it differently. Don't exclude politicals necessarily, or excuse me, the uh, career workforce necessarily. Bring them into the decision-making process with politicals. And think about it from an enterprise-wide approach, right? There are a set of councils that you can utilize in government. And these ought to be around the things that are most important to the president-elect. If you want to get six things done in the first 200 days, you need to figure out how you're going to engage the full workforce around it. And so you have to think creatively around pulling joint teams together versus just exclusionary teams. David Eagles, director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, elaborates on the benefits of creating a strong central management team right from the beginning. History speaks to this. It's the, it's the time you have to do it. Otherwise, once you're in office, it can be very difficult. And so that's why they actually have to set the, the underpinnings of a good structure, a good governance structure, right? And I go, you know, any new CEO of any private sector organization has a plan to execute his vision before he gets in there. You have to think through that stuff. And so it's really important to think about those entities that surround the president. And again, there are councils scattered throughout the federal government that can focus on these types of issues and simply just understanding what they are and how to leverage them. Mm-hmm. You know, I go back, even the cabinet itself is often underutilized in history. I mean, and you go, you go to a lot of examples where presidents don't even convene their cabinets for nine months or 12 months. I mean, it's really fascinating how thinking about governing and actually what your governance plan is is often an afterthought for these presidents as well. And so that's a basic principle. 
but that's something that they should be designing, and, and we feel confident they are, but they got to be ready to execute that on the first day. Given the number of positions to fill, analysis shows that 70% of the time spent filling political appointees is under the control of the White House. Dan Chenick explains how the incoming White House can better facilitate this process. Right. So that's interesting. And, and of course, I worked on a transition um, in 2008, so saw this process firsthand as part of that transition. I would say first is um, from the people side is knowing what are the key jobs and the job descriptions so that you know kind of what you're looking for. And there are various resources available, uh, the Plum Book which has a large number of leadership jobs, and it's sort of a, an ongoing perennial bestseller uh, in, in, in the Washington world. There's work done by the partnership around creating job descriptions for a, a number of key positions, which hadn't really been brought together in one place. Brookings has done some work on this as well. So knowing sort of what the jobs are, what the job descriptions are, very important for a, a transition uh, operation. Our report talked about the fact that you can use new technologies and analytical tools to uh, analyze the tens of thousands of resumes that come in from people that are looking interested in working for the government and filling those 4,000 positions. So you don't have to have just doing it by hand. You can actually take commercial best practice and look for keywords and, and really narrow down and kind of focus in quickly on doing the, the hand analysis of, of the small number of highly qualified applicants. There are a couple of resources that are uh, important, I think, for understanding what it takes to be successful. One is the center's own uh, recent uh, update of our book, Getting It Done, uh, which talks about how you can be successful in Washington, so looking for those kinds of skills. Uh, another book, Ed DeSev, um, who wrote one of our other transition series reports, also recently issued a President's Appointees Handbook, where he talked about how, what it takes to be successful for as a presidential appointee. And uh, I think those are both resources that are, are helpful. The incoming administration's political leadership team will not be doing this all alone. They will be supported by 7,200 members of the Senior Executive Service. David Eagles highlights the steps the incoming administration can take to strengthen the talent of the SES. It's a really great question, and I think there's a lot of things that can be done there. One is, you know, I go back, it almost gets to the second recommendation in our management roadmap, which is around uh, treating government as an integrated enterprise. In order to do that, it's important folks in these senior ranks get good experience with other agencies that are out there, just part of the natural rotation that they ought to be doing. And there's a lot more that the government can do to encourage that rotation. I mean, again, the fact that the vast majority of these folks in senior positions have been just in that agency, uh, you know, those are things that we can that we can really, really improve here. Um, you know, the, the second piece is, one is they ought to be thinking a lot about what's important for these incoming teams. Again, uh, it's, it's a fascinating process prior to the election because it's basically two parallel processes. The incoming team is trying to guess at what the agencies are doing, and the agencies are trying to guess what the incoming team wants. And it all comes to head after the election, and it's this really funny, I shouldn't say funny, but it's a scramble that happens right after the election, right, where these teams try to figure each other out. Um, but this is that time to really listen, that senior cadre out to listen to these teams, uh, understand what their priorities are. And what I would say is, this is not the time to sit on your hands. Like This is the time to be proactive. They will want to know their major decisions over the next 30 to 60 to 90 days, uh, what events are coming up, what's working well in your organization. Again, a critical part of this management topic is keeping the things uh, that are working well there, right? And so most of your quick wins of an incoming team uh, are not new policy promises. Almost, again, I mean, you look back in time, your quick wins come from taking things that are already working well. You could put another coat of paint on them. You could call them something else if you want to. 
Uh, but it's about getting those things done, getting those things across the finish line. And that really is about what good management, good execution is all about. Like, let's not start from scratch all over again. Let's not add more layers of this and that. Like, let's actually learn from what's working well and improve upon them. So one of the things that uh, the report talked about uh, is to have a regular dialogue with the senior executive service and other senior executive series in, in the government. Um, uh, the SES is the largest one, but there are other other series as well. Set up a meeting early with the SES uh, and um, you know meet periodically, uh, whether that's annually or biennially. Don't do it once and then you know, not again in the administration or maybe in the last year. Have a, some sort of a dialogue with, with that team. That can really energize the, the career executives. Um, another thing that we talked about in the report was the creation of a, a subset of the SES who's really responsible for managing large operations, mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a leadership cadre of, of SES leaders who are, understand the, the importance of managing programs that are serving millions of Americans and delivering information dollars. That could be healthcare or education, tax, uh, transportation. These are different than policy jobs. They're more operational uh, type jobs, more like a private sector operation. And creating an esprit de corps among that community is something that, that we think uh, would be a, a helpful addition to, to that part of the SES that really matters for the functioning of government. Uh, I know that there's a new head of the Senior Executive Association um, partnering uh, with that uh, enterprise, I think, also can help um, strengthen the SES uh, in terms of of creating uh, pathways for them to understand the value of the, the profession and their role in the profession as, as leaders in government. Why is it so important to treat government as an integrated enterprise? We will explore this question and so much more when this presidential edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. What are the greatest threats and challenges facing the U.S. Transportation Security Administration over the next few years? What has TSA done to be more efficient and effective in meeting its mission? How is TSA pursuing innovative security strategies? Join host Michael Keegan and the most recent TSA Administrator, Peter Neffinger, as they explore these questions and more. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Presidential Transition Edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guests today are David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, and Dan Chenock, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. With increasing frequency, the problems facing our government require coordinated interagency collaboration. Achieving many of the new administration's priorities will require an enterprise approach to government. David Eagles puts a finer point on the current situation. You know, in, in some ways, the silos that we have in government by agency are almost outdated. And you could go to any campaign promise, for example, even on President-elect Trump's campaign. It doesn't matter what the promise is. It's going to touch a dozen-plus federal agencies. And we're really not equipped well to be able to execute that way. I mean, it's it's really interesting how uh, it's hard to push down promises within silos of agencies. And so... This is why you've got to think not just about your verticals, so to speak, your vertical silos, but those horizontals uh, that exist all across government. Here's Dan Chenock on exactly what enterprise government looks like. So to me, enterprise government really is thinking about government as a supply chain, okay. that not as an org chart. So when, when you deliver a service, 
it, it often goes through multiple agencies. It often goes through multiple parts of an agency. Um, when you develop a policy, there's often multiple interests that have to come together, and those can be brought together in sort of ad hoc committees after the fact, or you can establish an enterprise process to both develop policies and programs and then deliver on those programs. So to me, it's about uh, thinking about how the government operates as an integrated whole uh, with all of its parts. And that can be from an, I'll call it an inside-out perspective, where uh, agencies are creating governance structures to work together effectively. It can also be, and importantly, powered from an outside-in perspective, helping, because all, when a citizen interacts with government, they don't know or they probably don't care which agency is involved. They just want to find the information they're looking for or receive the service that they're that they're receiving. And so understanding the government from the citizen's point of view and establishing enterprise perspectives to bring agencies and programs together, not just federal, but federal, state, and local as well, um, I think matters a lot in terms of understanding how enterprise government can work in practice. In this administration, there are a number of um, what are called cross-agency priority goals. And these are significant goals for the president and his senior uh, leaders across the agencies to drive forward working together. One of those goals, for example, is reducing uh, homelessness among our veteran population. And um, in this case, VA and DOD working with HUD actually came together and created enterprise frameworks to develop policies and then deliver on programs and services that achieve, uh, achieve this goal. And they, they actually got significant results in terms of measured reduction uh, in veterans' homelessness. It was a really, really impressive uh, element. Uh, another example in the acquisition space is the use of category management, private sector best practice in terms of acquiring goods especially and common services as well, where agencies don't necessarily buy everything de novo, they come together and they use the scale power of their uh, purchasing to uh, enable purchasing, let's say, of good of commodities like pencils or cars or services that they might receive in common, uh, ranging from uh, fleet management to even janitorial services. So those don't really matter which agency they're in. It just matters that the agency's getting the, the service. This is an industry best practice um, done uh, uh, all over the world uh, by IBM and many other companies. Um, and uh, it's something that the government has adopted at the end of this administration and probably will, will go forward. Congress plays a significant role in the ability of the executive branch to manage across agencies. What can the next administration do to engage Congress as a partner in creating an integrated enterprise government? Dan Chanak provides some advice. So it's always helpful, and I found this when I was in my government career as well, yeah. to work early with Congress, with, with staff, with GAO, and with the groups that, that work with Congress uh, all the time, to, to bring them in early, show the value of taking a common approach, an enterprise approach, to the programs that they care about. So authorizers and um, you know, authorizing committees have particular jurisdictions, appropriations committees and staff oversee particular uh, resource pools that relate um, to the authorized committee's policy areas. The operation of those programs that authorizing committees and appropriations committees care about a lot can actually be enhanced through the development of enterprise platforms so that each program can focus on its unique mission as opposed to having to invent the entire platform from the foundation to the delivery. So if there, are, if there are common platforms across similar programs, those programs can really focus on, let's say, in the education space, delivery, for example, of 
uh, educational benefits that are administered by student financial aid at, at education, educational benefits that are administered by the veteran, the Department of Veterans Affairs to uh, veterans programs, uh, educational programs that are administered through the Defense Department. Um, they're all about similar um, uh, content and the more the common platforms can be used to deliver that content, the agencies can focus on their unique missions. Appointees from the new administration will want to act quickly on the president's agenda, but they will find out that many of the existing processes for making decisions and getting them to stick can be frustrating. Here's David Eagles. We've got to figure out how to define success here, right? And so we talk a lot about you know, using evidence-based reviews as a framework for driving decisions, not only on what needs to be done, but on how to best do it. I mean, these are the types of things that you should be thinking about around decision-making now. And again, the good news is I feel reasonably confident uh, that this incoming team is thinking this way. But again, the next few months are going to be really critical here. Dan Chanuk elaborates on the importance of establishing a formal decision-making process before day one. Establishing decision processes early can help prevent sort of the um, rapid reaction, ad hoc type of decision-making that can lead to suboptimal results. Um, so understanding base, the basics of a decision process, who, who needs to be in the chain, don't have too many people, what are the criteria that are going to be used for a decision, um, what data are needed to make the decision by, uh, by, by the key players. So establishing frameworks like that and making those known to people so they know you know, all right, we have an issue, we know the process, and we know what data we need to bring forward and what the standards are by which the decisions will be judged. Um, very important. Some of the situations that that can apply to, um, there are a lot of uh, issues where risks are involved. This could be cybersecurity risks or financial risks. And understanding risk management frameworks, especially enterprise risk management, our center has done a number of reports uh, in that area to uh, to elucidate that that topic, as well as the new requirement under the Government Performance and Results Act Modernization Amendments for long-term strategic planning. Um, our center just put out a report on the value of quadrennial planning, what can be learned from that process, meaning planning over a four-year time horizon, that Defense Department has done, State Department has done, Homeland Security has done, I believe Energy has, has done. Now every agency has that. And so um, thinking about that as a decision process where you have decisions about multi-year priorities and what can be learned from agencies that have done that uh, is an important element of how the new administration can succeed. So why should a new administration focus on a management agenda as soon as possible? David Eagles tells us. Uh, if you believe in government, doesn't matter if you want it to be bigger or smaller, everybody wants it to work well. And this is that time that you uh, have to think through that, right? And so why a management agenda is so important is a couple things. One, again, your promises will stay promises. That's point number one. Number two is uh, a lot of the things that touch the citizens, for example, like th those things, we've got to keep those things moving well. And again, there's we're touching with campaign promises often just a few percent of the whole government. There's the other 98% that's actually, you know, that impacts most American citizens' lives, right? Those things have to continue running well. Uh, and so that's why uh, it's critically important that we, that we transition well so that the first day we know how we're doing. And that's a big part of this. How can the new administration harness the power of innovation? We'll explore this question and so much more when this presidential transition edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. What are the greatest threats and challenges facing the U.S. Transportation Security Administration over the next few years? What has TSA done to be more efficient and effective in meeting its mission? How is TSA pursuing innovative security strategies? 
Join host Michael Keegan and the most recent TSA administrator, Peter Neffinger, as they explore these questions and more. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Presidential Transition Edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guests today are David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, and Dan Chenock, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The next administration will have a powerful tool at its disposal for delivering policy priorities, improving the public trust, and reducing duplication and unnecessary costs. That tool is innovation. Here's Dan Chanak offering insights from the Management Roadmap on the power of harnessing innovation. And, of course, this report was developed by um, Beth Novak and Stefan Verhurst, who are the heads of uh, the uh, New York University uh, Governance Laboratory, or, or the GovLab. And Beth was also the former uh, deputy chief technology officer uh, in the first term of this administration. Um, and uh, the roundtable for this was very, very active, very interesting. I would say that, that learning from that, to, to me, innovation is about new ideas that can be integrated and scaled if they are shown to be successful. So a lot of people think of innovation as things that you can sort of throw up and see if they work. And that's true. That's a piece of it. But true innovation establishes a process by which you review the um, – you, you can pilot the idea. You can see whether it works. And then you have a process to scale so that if the innovation is successful, you can actually integrate it. And you have a process to learn uh, if the innovation has uh, elements that, that are not successful. You can learn from those and, and make adjustments and move forward. So it's both about a channel for new ideas and then a process for learning from and extending on those new ideas that are proven to work uh, and lessons learned. Here's David Eagles. What's so great about uh, our system of government, and you have a new incoming team that are going to have all sorts of new ideas and a new way to test how we do things here. But, you know, it, a lot of innovation is just about using data and our technology well. That's really what it comes down to in innovation. And, you know, often, uh, you know, we have none of this when we make decisions out there, right? And so uh, it's a new way of thinking about this. Um, and so you're right. We do have a lot of depth in our management roadmap. I encourage folks, by the way, again, presidentialtransition.org. Go on there and download the, download the roadmap and you'll see it for yourself. But I do think we have a pretty good plan here for innovation. Um, but that's a topic also that the transition teams are thinking about. Yes. Um, this is only the second time in history we've seen that. President Obama also had a team focused on innovation. Uh, and so they're thinking through those unique ways. They're thinking about customer service. You know, they're thinking about improving outcomes of citizens. Like those are the things that we need to be thinking about. Often we're focused on outputs or measurements of activities versus actually how we impact people's lives. Shenak discusses how the new administration can make innovation a priority and embed it beyond the transition. So I was in the 2008 transition actually one of the leaders of, of a team called the Technology Innovation and Government Reform Group. And there were various different kind of working groups on this overall group, which was referred to as TIGER. And uh, the working group that I was uh, uh, in charge of was the working group for government operations. Mm -hmm. And that really was the first time a transition had focused on a cr the cross-cutting elements of technology and innovation as a transition issue. And in the work we've done with the partnership and through this innovation roundtable and, and the report, we highlighted the importance of, 
of innovation as an early uh, tool that would be available to, to an administration. And of course, during this process, we were interacting with the transition team's pre-election from both candidates. Mm -hmm. And both uh, candidates saw the the importance of this and and were very engaged uh, in this process. So establishing an early channel for incorporating technology and innovation in the transition, I I expect will continue. An interesting process that uh, I was privileged to participate in uh, was uh, at the uh, Beak Center at Georgetown for Social Innovation. And they put together a report um, recently in a roundtable around called the Architecture of Innovation. And it kind of um, drew on our innovation report as well as other sources to think about this concept of innovation governance. And in the current administration, there are uh, many different offices that have been involved, and those can range from GSA's 18F program and uh, the U.S. Digital Services op- uh, Office in the White House and uh, the Office of Management Budget, uh, agency digital services teams that worked with USDS, uh, agency innovation offices headed by, by chief innovation officers, Creating a governance framework to pull in and harness innovation, share the lessons across agencies, uh, is something that that a leader at the White House and, and the uh, the Beak Center report uh, reinforced this point. I think um, can help to drive. So you still have the the uh, innovation activities happening in the agencies, but there's a there's a gluing function through through a leadership structure, uh, and th- the key to that is that it creates uh, an ability to drive innovation into government operations. So it's not just a separate activity of the innovation people over here on the side who are kind of dreaming up things, but they don't get integrated. If I go go back to the definition, innovation that can scale into operations when it works, that's true innovation. That's true. Uh, and, and that's really how a, a leader can help drive that. Innovation and technology skills remain in high demand and short supply across the federal enterprise. Dan Chenick offers recommendations to the new administration to ensure that public servants have the right skills and tools. I would say that, that there is a lot of technology talent that's also available in the federal workforce that could be leveraged more, more effectively uh, in terms of tapping into expertise uh, in agencies, tapping into expertise of a broader network of companies, both contractors working with the government now as well as companies that are not necessarily in a, in a technology corridor like Silicon Valley, but, but companies that really have new ideas all over the country um, and, and establishing and enabling platforms for them to bring forward ideas, I think would be something that a new administration could really establish some pilots for how to do that, that uh, using the innovation model, they can learn from those pilots how to scale that as well, so that they're kind of using the innovation process to develop an innovation framework. How is the Trump transition going, and what's next for presidential transitions? We will explore these questions and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. 
The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Presidential Transition Edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guests today are David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service, and Dan Chenock, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. David, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Right. Thanks for letting me be here. Thank you. David, would you tell us more about your efforts working with the Presidential Transition Teams? Yeah, well, it's been a fascinating process, to be honest with you, because, again, uh, you know, we feel like we're the, the central hub, if you will, the grand central station for transition planning. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort just cataloging and thinking through all of the efforts that they've done historically. We have all the files, for example, from Bush and Romney and Obama, and, we, again, we've been very thoughtful there. We've got a very strong advisory board of the former leaders who've done this before, the Governor Levitts and the Josh Boltons and Mac McClarty's of the world. Uh, and so... You know, a day in the life's been really fascinating. And, and when we started working with these teams early, I, I think, at least in my mind, I had grandiose visions of giving all this great strategy. Here, okay, here's what you're going to want to do. And it was very fascinating for us. The early questions from these transition teams were, okay, wait, this is a nonprofit entity we have to set up, so I have to get a 501c3. I mean, it was, it was very tactical stuff, which was, it was good because we could be very helpful there. But it really was completely new to these guys. And it, it was fascinating for me because that's how I felt four years ago going through this effort, right? And so, but now there's an effort to actually help them and learn from the past and create this system so that we can get better with every cycle. It's that important. We have to get this right. And we shouldn't stand for not getting your people in place. And we shouldn't stand for folks coming in, not being able to execute on their promises. And it shouldn't take you six months or 12 months to get a management agenda in place. You ought to have it the first day. There's no excuse for it, right? And so, our engagement with the teams, you know, we've had regular touch bases with them, essentially weekly. Um, we have convened them, uh, again, in the same room together, talking through issues like governing the country. And then it changed a good bit after the election because you have to realize this was the first time in history, really, you've seen a formal pre-election uh, transition effort mm-hmm. merging with a formal campaign effort. And you've never really had that before. And so... As expected, you saw some settlement with the Trump team. Like they were putting some new leadership on top of the of the now official transition effort. Uh, and so, but what I think you're seeing, and you will see, is that the wheels will begin turning more quickly than we've ever seen before. That's the hope, mm-hmm, sure. because at the end of the day, you know, again, instead of getting just trickling in a few people. And again, waiting six months to execute on your promises or to think about that management agenda, you can get your top 100 in place and prepared by inauguration. You can actually execute those campaign promises the first day, and you can have that management agenda in place the first day. That's important. David, what lessons have you learned and best practices captured from the presidential transition? Are there any plans to do a debrief or a postmortem on your efforts so to enhance the next transition efforts? So I think there are a couple lessons learned in, in in my mind here. Again, and I guess the first piece is, you know, I think we've started early enough, but I think we're going to be just much better next cycle. Like I think what we recognized is there were areas and gaps of information. Because again, you have to think about it. There's really been no formal 
pre-election effort. Now, the Obama team did really well pre-election, but even then they had to keep it very quiet. Again, it was taboo to even think about or talk about. And then these were two completely open transition teams that were formally announced months and months in advance prior to the election. And so what we recognized is there were there were just a lot of gaps in information that we, the collective we, I think, have to be able to respond to. And I think uh, one is just... Certainly, there was a whole area around the White House, which is really interesting, and and how a White House is organized. There's a lot of discretion with the incoming teams and what they can do. And a big part of this management roadmap that we've done with IBM was around uh, thinking about the government as an integrated enterprise. And if you're going to do that, you've got to manage it via the center of that government, which is the White House and which is the Office of Management and Budget and those entities that surround the president. Uh, and there just isn't a lot there, or it's based on lore, and you, you won't find organizational charts by and large. And there's been some great work out there from folks like Martha Kumar and that have just done wonderfully here. Uh, but we can do so much better next cycle. So what's really neat about our project now at the Center for Presidential Transition is we're trying to – obviously, we're learning as we go, but we're trying to capture this information so that next cycle we do better. And the great news is uh, the Clinton team, as they're – you know, essentially uh, winding, have wind th- winded things down, you know, they're, uh, you know, have agreed to work with us and share the information they've put together and, and they're paying it forward in their mind just as the Trump team will once they assume the office as well. And that's just a great thing for America to help us move forward so that we can get this right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say there's a lot of examples like that. I think, you know, another part of the management roadmap that's important for us is just around that government executive talent. And so it gets to just what are these political roles? Again, we've done a lot there, but there's a lot more that we can do. There's a lot more that we can do, too, um, to think about engaging the career civil servants productively early. And uh, I, I, you know, we've spent a lot of time there, but I, it's a personal mission of mine, and it's what the partnership is all about, too, right? That these incoming political teams, you're never going to get ahead if you come in on day one and you shut the door on the career workforce. And And historically... Maybe not recent presidents, but but historically, uh, they've come in and closed that door because they're not ready to execute on their promises. They don't even know what their promises are often. And so that's why they get in there and they close the door. It's different this cycle. We'll see how it plays out. I'm still very confident this cycle that we're going to do a lot better. But that's something we can only get much better. Uh, Dan, would you like to add anything on lessons learned? Uh, The partnership has just been a tremendous um, – fellow collaborator in this transition effort. They've provided great leadership across the good government community uh, in establishing this. And um, it's been a privilege to be part of the partnership's learning system, to work with David Eagles, Max Steyer, and the the leadership at the partnership there. Uh, I would say some of the lessons from this process are starting early early. is um, uh, very important. this process really started, this roadmap process started a year ago. Um, the government is so complex and there are so many different moving pieces that having an infrastructure um, to be able to hit the ground running on really November 9th and then, of course, in full on January 21st of any new administration is something, a lesson that can be can be learned and repeated. The other thing I'd say is the, the roadmap process, we were able to bring in a wide group of stakeholders, as I mentioned, current government leaders, former government leaders, outside stakeholders, academic experts, industry leaders in, uh, in, in the field, and thinking about the transition as a process where multiple parties can come together uh, to help establish a framework to help drive government forward is something that uh, was a very important lesson. And Dan, would you tell us more about any additional IBM Center resources developed to help smooth the transition for the new administration? 
How can the center's work getting it done in the operator's manual assist folks heeding the call for public service? Sure. Well, as uh, as we discussed, we've every every eight years or so we retool our basket of information uh, that is available to new leaders in government. Uh, you mentioned Getting It Done, which is a, a guide to new leaders. It's a report that's out on our, our website, uh, businessofgovernment.org. It, it has two parts to it. One is uh, really sort of how to succeed in Washington, thinking, written by people that have been in positions of central leadership um, uh, who have been affiliated with the center. And then part two is a set of of short discussions of how to succeed working across all of the different key offices in government. Um, and th- those are written by the leaders. People have been the leaders of those offices, reflecting on what worked for them in terms of people that they interacted with. The head of, former head of GAO wrote the chapter on, on G- how to work with GAO. The former head of the White House Office of Cabinet Affairs uh, co-authored the chapter on how to work with the White House. So uh, getting it done is really a great tool. Um, for people coming in. Um, it's been uh, a pleasure working with the partnership in their political appointee training program, who, and they've been able to make use of, of the Getting It Done uh, book over the last eight years, and we hope to continue to, to be working uh, on political appointee training um, uh, with that as well. Um, the other piece, in addition to the management roadmap that, that we're working on uh, with the transition, is that we, we have a, a lot of work we do with the broader good government community. As leaders in the center, we're involved in work that's done by the National Academy for Public Administration, uh, by the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council, by the Technology CEO Council, by the Professional Services Council, so that as they put forward their ideas, we're able to integrate some of the thinking we've done and we're able to learn from them. And and that's been uh, something that through the center, we can really help create and drive forward this good government ecosystem. David, what is next for you and the partnership's Center for Presidential Transition? So there's a lot that we're looking to do once the formal transition settles down. So a couple things to note. One is the average tenure of a political appointee is around two years. So it's interesting. By the time you get them in, uh, they're already leaving again. You know what I mean? So their transition is constant. And one of the interesting uh, pieces of legislation that was passed this year that have helped change these transition is that is that transition will be talked about yearly. There's actually a formal council now that will continue every year, and we hope to be a critical part of that. You know, the second piece is we're going to get deeper on the appointment side. Again, understand what these roles are. We're going to develop a whole set of position descriptions. You know, these important management jobs. So again, like a uh, you know like a CFO or or ones that again are managing these large workforces. We want to put a lot of energy in just helping uh, the incoming folks understand the importance of these roles. And just and again, just defining what these management positions are, saying that you need to get them in there earlier. Don't wait one year or two years to get these folks into place. Uh, we can't afford that. You've got to get them in there the first month, first two months, or even the first day. They can do that, right? Uh, that'll be a big part of our work in 2017. And then we're only getting smarter. We have an online platform at presidentialtransition.org. Uh, the management roadmap uh, that we worked with IBM is on there, but also all those files we spoke about. Uh, that's going to continue to grow, and so we're going to continue to spend a lot of time thinking through that uh, and also help the incoming team, once they're in office, help them be more effective as well. And so, again, I go back as a former political appointee as well. I mean, the onboarding process for a political appointee, at least for me, was a set of keys and a, and a photograph. Well, you know, that one with the American flag behind you and makes you feel good, you know. But that's that's the extent of the onboarding process. And when you have an average tenure of two years, you can't afford six months of learning what this job is, right? you got to be ready on the first day to execute. And so we've developed a full curriculum 
for these incoming political appointees. We'd like to run all 4,000 through a curriculum like understanding the federal budget process, how to work with careers effectively, um, ethics and optics. I mean, there's a lot of things that coming from the private sector or somewhere else you would never understand. And that's the thing that we'd want to do. And that's a big part of our 2017 plan as well. Dan, is there any other recommendations or insights you want to offer as we close? So I think it's it's a really a privilege to be part of the mission of improving government. And the center's mission is very consistent with that. It's something that we take seriously, um, how to help government move forward, how to drive efficiency and effectiveness forward for you know, the, the millions of federal employees, contractors working with the government, and of course, the service that they are able to provide to American citizens and businesses across the country. And we take that seriously where we were privileged to work through the transition on this, and we look forward to continuing to work on it in the years to come. David, you folks are doing a lot of work. It's probably an exhausting time right now for you at the Center for Presidential Transition. But are there any other comments, recommendations, or insights you would like to share? Yeah. I would just say, you know, also, too, for your listeners, what a unique time we're in right now. You know, this is often a time of... of of nervousness out there, right? With any big, big change initiatives, right? Folks are are certainly anxious about what's happening here. But I would I'd look at it the other way. This is really a unique time. It's a unique time for your federal agencies to shine. It's a unique time uh, to understand what's important for these incoming teams and to be helpful for them. Because it's often, you know, again, our interviews with the incoming teams when they've come in, they often don't even know what questions to ask of the agencies. They don't know the agencies well enough, right? And they're learning as they go too. And so. Uh, in my mind, I look at that as a lifeline to actually help them and to say, all right, listen, here's actually what you need to know. And it's not just the what's happening in my agency. It's the so what and that's most important for these guys. Um, so there's really a unique opportunity here, both now and the first few months of the administration, uh, to really get off on the right foot with the incoming teams and the new leadership folks coming in. So that's the first point. The second point is we, meaning the collective we in this country, can do a lot better with transition. Again, it's never really done well. And I mentioned earlier that whether it's just the number of people coming in, uh, again, we should be able to double, if not triple, that number coming in. Uh, the president's team, again, they ought to have the top 100 in place on the first day, not just in place, but prepared. Uh, and so that means running them through tabletop exercises and things like that before they actually assume office. And then by the August recess of 2017, they ought to have uh, you know, your top 400 to 500 Senate-confirmed people in place as well. We've never seen anything like that. Uh, historically, but this ought to be a goal for the appointments team uh, in transition. Uh, and the second piece is, you know, when they're developing their implementation plans, that they be fully informed. They be not just, you know, they're not focused just on your promise, but on those key enablers to your promise as well. That's how you're going to get your promises done. That's why the management roadmap is so important. It's really a guidebook for these incoming teams to navigate our complicated government, which is what it is. It's by design, but it also, it's, it's an opportunity for these folks to do a lot better And at the end of the day, we should see much better results. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a management roadmap for the new administration, with Dan Chenock, Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government, and David Eagles, Director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.